1: Hello, my name is Colm O'Regan and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 47 of the No Encore Music Podcast. Back once again on a two-man show, myself <sighs> and my partner
2: Craig Fitzpatrick. What's up, sir? How are you? Yeah, dave us again.
1: Dave is ill.
2: Yeah. We've, we've gone from like a power trio to a, a power couple, I want to say. <laughs> like, I guess we are the power
1: couple of No Encore at this point, yeah. Um, coming at you in stereo, which is uh,
2: double how Dave would be coming at you right now. Yeah kissing disease has taken down our friend poor chap's got mono um no he's in a bad way um, yeah he's missed cinema trips and all sorts and, and you know and if dave is missing barely trips. speak it's very undave like his existence for the last two weeks um, but we miss him dearly and he will return at some point i'm guessing he will return hopefully next
1: week uh, and uh, most certainly uh, in two weeks time for the spectacular no encore live um if this is your first time tuning in if you've been living under a social media rocker if you just uh, constantly look at Craig's twitter uh, <laughs> it might have
2: passed you by that we're holding a live event that is an outdated joke as this is released <laughs> because i will have sent at least one one tweet by now um publicizing this as i constantly saying i'm so confident that this lineup is so good And it will be such a good show that I don't need to do nothing, mate, Mm. Um, as I've, you know, displayed by now by doing nothing. (laughs) Well, if uh, you do want to be along, (laughs) it's the March the 2nd at the Workman's Club.
1: uh, ie is where you can get tickets. Uh, Line-up includes We Cut Corners, Farah L, uh, Bantam. And windings, Uh, of course. There's going to be me, myself, Dave, and Craig, Mm. and some other guests joining us for a natter as well. Uh, It promises to be a spectacular night. It should be great. Yeah, old
2: friends popping by. Spectacular night uh, had on Sunday for the Super Bowl. Did you Um, enjoy? Yes, I
1: did. Yeah, of course I did. I would
2: have stayed up. I was trying to get the Monday off. I was at a stag, as we've discussed. Um, but now I got work, so um, my my evening ended pretty early on Sunday. I it, should, it
1: should be said like the game was barely over by the time he got up for work. Uh, it went to overtime. It was genuinely perhaps the best Super Bowl ever which I don't know I, I think that's kind of a bad thing for Lady Gaga's point of view because people were like you know it was the most watched our second most watched halftime performance of the Super Bowl ever which sounds great. But no but one was talking about it. Precisely. It's the one Super Bowl where nobody was talking about the halftime show the next day.
2: Yeah. I, I find with the Super Bowl though there is a weird overlapping of audiences. Obviously in the States people just get around and watch it regardless but then you have the sports fans and the Lady Gaga fans or Beyonce fans or the you know Rolling Stones fans yeah. that just pop in for like the 15 minutes or whatever it is um, how did it go it was good I haven't actually seen Gaga's performance it was it was grand I yeah. mean it was kind of what you expect you
1: know high budget and, and sort of high on the theatrics um, you know she's got a decent voice on her it, it, it was a good show um you mentioned the, the the kind of intersection of people watching and that was definitely obvious in the reaction to it where some people were kind of you know just saying that she killed it yeah. some people were saying that you know she's a talentless fool and shouldn't be anywhere near this stage yeah and the one that got her attention um was people who were essentially calling her fat um during the show which was, is nonsense frankly
2: Um, Yeah, it's it's quite ridiculous Not
1: not just that behaviour But the fact that she Demonstrably was in Phenomenal shape and, And probably was You know, as athletic A performer as we've seen On that stage in a long time
2: I mean, the kind of appearance Of the performer Always seems to come up Unless it's Like, you know, Tom Petty Look, you put that many You put that many eyeballs on it yeah. And,
1: you know, of the, whatever it was, 117 million people, there's bound to be a couple of sure.
2: just But bombs. is Gaga back? Because, you know, she's been going through some stick. But apart from those kind of trolls on the internet, it was was it a good enough performance that this is going to reignite her career?
1: Nah, I mean, like, she... <laughs> no. She, she performed one song from the most recent album. Yeah, yeah. And that was a pretty... And it was a slow song and a kind of a pretty down section of the set, okay, so you know that maybe tells its own story in terms of that album's strength and its familiarity for people
2: yeah, i get i I mean regardless of the performer, they're probably not going to do their new material to a large extent, unless of course they're beyonce,
1: yeah, to be fair as well she' she's never lost it as a live performer, so. Uh, there was never much doubt yeah. that she'd get there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Beyonce and of course last week we discussed, uh, well we, we didn't discuss, we just mentioned in passing because we felt we had to acknowledge it in some form that uh, she is now expecting twins. Um, proof that everything in music, uh, even when you do it, it will have been done before. Yeah. Madonna
2: has kind of beaten her to it. Yeah, she's adopted twin girls from Malawi. She's gone back to Malawi where she already took two children. Um, Took! She she was allowed legally, and the children are having fantastic lives, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. And as someone that's actually been to Malawi, I think I'd much rather live in Madonna's Gaff. Right. Um, I mean, lovely. You were there for years ago. Yeah, I went there for Hot Press. uh, just to kind of report on the work that St. John of God actually do, and just kind of in terms of setting up mental health hospitals and taking care of the mentally ill over, it was kind of remarkable stuff. So really, actually, lovely country, um, but just as desperately poor as you can imagine. Um, so you, you know, to adopt a single child while you were there, <laughs> a few of them you kind Selfish of want to take Craig. take with you. You know, they're they're such awesome kids. But it's it's that weird thing of like then you you know people give such stick to Madonna and the likes of Angelina Jolie when they adopt. And there is this thing of, I don't know, it does leave a bit of a bad taste when it just seems like super rich people deciding, okay, I'm going to grab some kids from the third world now. Yeah, I mean, like,
1: I, I like there There are these arguments about international adoption in general, not just when it comes to celebrities, you, you know, just yeah. in, in terms of kind of like, the The process is monetized in some parts of the world, and you know. But for me, like it's all about the net gain. I mean, like you say, the kids are going to get better lives now.
2: And this is the thing: when you've been there, you do think, oh, you know, whoever can just kind of scoop these kids up and give them a proper life, all yeah. the better, because you know they're probably going to end up dead by about twenty something. You know? Yeah,
1: it's a pair of four-year-olds, uh, Stella and Esther, um, which is actually quite strange. People frequently forget this. For some reason, it's lodged in the back of my brain that about 13 years ago, Madonna decided that she was going to be called Esther. Yes. And ordered all her staff. To address her as Esther from there on. But
2: when I heard Esther, I was just like, well, that seems strangely familiar, but I couldn't remember the the yeah. reason. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm, that's
1: what it is. I think it's like a Hebrew name that Madonna was oh, taking. Oh, it was, was like a Kabbalah thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, basically, she's got a kid named after her now in her
2: own mind. Yeah. Um. But she, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we're talking about the reaction from Malawi. And it says here, Madonna's relationship with Malawi has not always been smooth. The former Malawian uh, President Joyce Banda accused her of demanding unending gratitude for her adoptions. But her successor, Peter Mutterica, um said in 2014, my government has always been grateful for the passion that Madonna has for this country. Now, knowing a little bit about this country, Joyce Banda was kind of the democratically elected woman that came in on a tidal wave of kind of joy a couple of years ago. Okay. She only lasted about two years. And then there was another election, um, which was kind of the electronic vote, or like the voting didn't quite go well. She wanted a recount. Um he won and just kind of said, No, it's Grand, we won't have a recount, we won't have a new vote. Um he said he wouldn't seek revenge or vengeance against her. Uh so this Muderika guy is um probably not the most reliable source and I would right. suggest that Joyce Banda knows what she's talking about. <laughs> um also the one airport in Malawi. There's about like two kind of desks that you go up to and they do have a red ca- kind of carpet that's just completely destroyed and mucky and horrible, but it is a red carpet and they roll it out for this Rico guy and apparently Madonna, that's the only times and it's just a slightly faster queue. You didn't that's, get it? No, no. That's the VIP treatment, so Devastating. That's, that's the way she's kind of, yeah, yeah. taking advantage over there, but interesting.
1: I'm also surprised that she hasn't <laughs> been put on some sort of no-fly list by Donald Trump <laughs> at this stage, you know? Like it's coming,
2: she, it's coming any day now. Yeah,
1: I mean that's definitely going to be a line for the babysitter. Like, you know, can you watch the kids today? I want to arson the attack the White House this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, elsewhere in in the crazy world of music, uh, where it meets the crazy world of internet conspiracy theories, it always tends to get interesting. And uh, people are suggesting that Eminem is dead. And that the real sli- Slim Shady is not the real Slim Shady, so to speak.
2: Yeah, okay, so, uh, I mean, do we need to really say that this info is coming from a string of unverified blogs? Well, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, and un- un- unnamed YouTube users. <laughs> yeah. But um, basically,
1: they've tried to say that, like, yeah, he was killed in a car crash years ago. Yeah. And that we've now got a, a, a replacement. They've been sort of, like, analysing his bone structure. Yeah. And obviously reading into lyrics in, in you know, dubious fashion. So
2: apparently it was June 2007. He disappeared. Or he, well, he died. and This clone took his place. Uh, a convinced fan says, guys, Eminem is dead and he is a clone. Now, I mean, we've heard this stuff before. You, actually, usually it's that celebrities aren't dead, they're still wandering around underground. That's exactly the it. The only other yeah. one similar to this I can think of really is the Paul McCartney thing where they got a replacement sure. uh, years ago. But this one, I mean, like, uh, I don't want to analyse it too much and go, this doesn't really stand up to scrutiny. But I can't for the life of me see the rationale between, like, why would we need a clone of Eminem? This is it, yeah. I, it, like, his records since then haven't exactly been great or selling that well surely if he died he would be selling more for various record labels I yeah don't know.
1: And, and and what's more rap music it's it not the type that seems to <laughs> sort of you know scramble for heritage acts by any means They they've unfortunately been in a position where they've had to
2: you know have stars die in their prime yeah. before. And of course Eminem did kind of go away for a long time because he had prescription drug problems and yeah. things like that and it did kind of alter his appearance to a slight degree. He kind of aged a bit well, he, he he kind of slimmed down. Yeah, but like he aged a bit. But, that's uh, yeah, about, in the space of a decade. Um, but there's some amazing photos online where it's just like two photos and then it's like lines, squiggles drawn it's just like look at his cheekbone here and it's like what are you? You're not, that's a line about nothing. It's, this also, is nothing.
1: it's also clearly done on like MS Paint. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like something I would do in the office. Um, but as you know, I love a good conspiracy theory. Yes,
2: you, know. you do. Another um, man that loves a good conspiracy theory. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tom
1: DeLong is actually doing his book on UFOs. I and mean, we talked about this months ago, but yeah. I, I mean, you know, we kind of had the Irish eyebrows, so to speak, and like, oh, just how serious is,
2: is this? Uh, you're dead serious, it seems. Yeah, dead serious. So he's actually releasing this book. That was the whole reason for leaving Blink-182. And, I mean... Do you know what? I'm kind of not surprised. Yeah. Because he seems to, he seems to be committed to this. He seems to, there's been other stories we covered, have talked to a lot of people <laughs> and the likes of NASA, even kind of people in the Department of Defense, yeah. government officials. And I don't know, like in this current climate where Alex Jones is on the phone to Donald Trump, it seems like Everyone in power now is just like, you know, where are the codes? Uh, Show me Area 51. I'm going to crack this case wide open. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're probably looking into Eminem as we speak. I was about to say, yeah, get him on that case. Um, He's written it with occult expert uh,
1: Peter Levenda. (laughs) Great name for an occult expert. And it's titled Secret Machines. God. Secret with a K, by the way, if you're trying to Google that as we speak. Uh, (laughs) It's out on the 7th of March. So, you know good good reading for your summer holidays i suppose yeah um and yeah he he's it it is apparently at the opening salvo on the complacency of human institutions where the ufo phenomenon is concerned it's designed to shake people up to make them question
2: their assumptions oh, wow I mean we had Do you remember Robbie Williams Kind of went down that track For a couple of years Yeah
1: Yeah a little bit Yeah But but like But Tom Long is just going Whole hog here (laughs) This is yeah And you've got to assume That this is the tipping point as well Like you know You can be the guy Who kind of makes some strange comments In interviews every now and then But when you've actually got The book on the shelf You can't kind of laugh this off Say oh that's That's fake news And media speculation And blah blah blah
2: This is him now He's the tinfoil hat guy I know, but does it really undermine his credibility if he ever wanted to return to Blink-102? I mean, this is the band that released Enema of the State. You know, I think if you were expecting someone to get on board something like this, you wouldn't be like, eh, okay, it's it's Tom DeLonge from blink Two. I, I think he'll be fine.
1: I think we have to send him on, yeah, like all sorts of missions now to, to kind of find the truth. I mean, yeah, starting with Eminem. Uh, one time recently, I fell down the insane rabbit hole that is One Direction fans talking about Louis Tomlinson's kid. What? Or the perhaps non-existence of it. Oh, really? Oh, it involves like genuinely forensic Photoshop work and all the rest of it. And <laughs> yeah, kind of like, you know, comparing timelines of different photos and sightings and blah.
2: But again, is there any basis to this why it might be a real thing? or is Oh, it just- no. Just mental people yeah well, I knew that bit, but what was the reason behind it Oh, because they're mental yeah. I, there, there is none there's absolutely none i mean I love the f- like every time a new music video comes out for anything, there will be a flood of YouTube videos where it's just like look here there's a there's a um triangle, there's a pyramid, illuminati confirmed oh absolutely it's amazing yeah. somebody's um, in
1: the Bilderberg group every week
2: yeah um anyway,
1: speaking though of <laughs> mental behavior from pop fans yes. Um, and and this, this, to be honest, is bad because I'm pretty confident that a lot of Irish expats are responsible for big shows, like big shows in Australia and New Zealand. Oh, of course. Which are made up of S Club 7, Liberty X, Atomic Kitten and
2: Bewitched. Yeah. Do you know how I think that you're dead on there? Because I've seen a poster for one of these gigs, and Bewitched are actually, like, the headliner. Oh, yeah. Bewitched are the big name on this, yeah. But that doesn't make sense to me. I know they had, like, the Weatherman song, but did they really, like, they, surely C'est the other... and roller coaster and Rollercoaster. Okay, all right, um, sorry. They were the ABBA of the fucking early noughties, whatever. But seriously, really, were they bigger than S Club 7? I don't think well, so. Well, this is
1: the thing. I mean, now, Bewitched um, are on this tour as a three-piece, and they're actually... You know, back as a four-piece, just one of them wasn't able to make it on this occasion. All <laughs> right. of I love the, the commitments of to the, the bewitched guys, of the other bands here. Okay, <laughs> on the lineup, S Club Seven are now S Club Three, and at their gig in Auckland, one of them didn't make it. So they were just <laughs> two out of S Club Seven. Uh, Liberty X are now three of the five. Uh, uh, both I always thought that was Liberty 10 Was that? No, <laughs> it, it was Liberty X And there was five members There's now only three The two guys have gone off I think one of them was on The Voice But certainly they've found alternative careers for themselves, so to speak okay. And then, uh, yeah Atomic Kitten uh, is now Kerry Katona, back again Yeah. Um, Natasha Hamilton, who I think was there all the time And on this occasion Liz <laughs> McClarnon, who has a fear of flying Was replaced by Michelle from Liberty X
2: <laughs> Wait a minute Yeah Okay so she was just Double jobbing it she double Or did jo- she switch Double jobbing bands it okay. Double
1: jobbing it Yeah yeah I mean like She only played two songs With Liberty X apparently And one of them was a cover Um, which is the definition of knowing you're a one-hit wonder, I suppose, really, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're all coming to a right venue near you soon. Or they've probably already played it.
1: Oh, yeah, it's entirely Um, possible, yeah. Certainly
2: the League Festival this summer is sorted, (laughs) I think, (laughs) if they can all make the trip.
1: Yeah, also, like perhaps most frighteningly, after this gig, um, I think Bewitched's uh, most recent release... Which seems to be a six-track like EP slash album, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, they're just uh, working
2: out some new experimental stuff. so yeah, they thought we go with the EP. It's, it's called Champagne or Guinness. <laughs> yeah. And really uh, tapping that drunken Irish. Oh, I tell you what, like it—it's
1: yeah. it, quite on the nose. But uh, yeah, did th- this whole thing reminded me of like the Brexit gigs that got cancelled last year. Remember with like yeah. four members of Bucks Fizz <laughs> who aren't allowed to call themselves Bucks Fizz because <laughs> another bloke still owns the rights to the name. Yeah. Um, and I—I I think that gig also had two out of five. Which is not a Kieran McGinnis tribute act, but actually like two (laughs) men from the band
2: five. I mean, it's a wonder Trump didn't try and book all these for his inauguration. Oh, absolutely. Surely they would have made, well, some of them would have made the trip in this weird kind of Frankenstein's monster makeup of terrible pop. Pretty
1: much right on cue this morning, our attention was brought to the lineup for uh, the Cornbury Music Festival uh, running the 7th to 9th of July in Oxfordshire, Mm. where it is uh, Brian Adams, the Kaiser Chiefs. The voice of Keen, Tom
2: Chaplin. The voice of Keen.
1: Yeah. Uh, elsewhere in this lineup, you have Jules Holland and his uh, rhythm and blues band. Rhythm, okay. Uh, Always have, good
2: for a bit of boogie woogie piano.
1: Yep. Uh, you have Jack Savaretti, Right Said Fred, Scouting for Girls, Sophie oh. Ellis Baxter. Oh my god. And apparently, a band called Police Dog Hogan, which has to go down as one of my favourite new. Yeah, Police Dog names. Hogan.
2: Wow, I will not be at that gig.
1: In terms of absolutely shocking, and again, proof that I can fall down a rabbit hole with the best of them, uh, <laughs> reading about shocking lineups actually sent me down a kind of an investigative route of trying to find the worst What are you doing with your life, mate? Come
2: on, let's have a chat. Dave's not here, just you and know. me. Well, let's get it all down in the open. It, all
1: right, tell us. Come on. It's just not been the same. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so one of them definitely was literally the most in-demand gig in history, which was when Led Zeppelin reunited yeah. a couple of years ago for the Amatertigan tribute. Tw- Twenty million ticket applications were made, and of course Led Zeppelin, um, with John Bonham's son on yeah. drums, uh, played the second half of that gig. But the first half of the, that gig, now imagine, right, there are people flying from all over the world, yeah. presumably playing untold amounts of money.
2: Yeah, you see, I didn't even know there was a first half of this gig. Go the first
1: on. half was Bad Company's drummer, Simon Kirk, <laughs> and two members of Yes, was <laughs> followed by Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings, uh, with Paolo Natini singing.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, then uh, the frontman from Free, Paul Rogers and i mean some decent voices here i'm, I'm then, liking this lineup really no and go then uh,
1: mick jones as the only original member of foreigner playing i want to know what love is <laughs> imagine flying all over the world
2: for that yeah i mean at least you've got led zeppelin to come yeah just the thing there is something yeah when when just head for the bar when the, <laughs> when,
1: when the headliner is holding strong headliner held strong in 2014 in london but okay. it didn't quite go to plan uh at the The O2 or the mini O2, whatever it is, about two and a half thousand people can fit anyway. Mace was headlining a show uh, with Fat Joe and Foxy Brown. Uh, Unfortunately, Fat Joe got his visa refused.
2: Ah, uh, classic then, Fat
1: Joe Then Foxy Brown pulled out uh, Mace, hellstrong Was
2: Foxy Brown complaining Like was that a kind of In solidarity with Fat Joe? Yeah, perhaps Oh really? <laughs> I, no,
1: I don't know Or maybe she just looked at it And said she couldn't be arsed Yeah, I can't yeah really tell. probably more but, likely But uh, yes, anyway Somewhere between 40 and 150 people Showed up for the gig itself Oh they Credit where it's due though Mace actually put on a full show Like gave it socks I'm
2: not surprised Mace is kind of dedicated to cause Yeah, he's a man of God He is a man of God Kind of ruined his career To be honest Yeah uh, on the
1: opposite end of that scale, Brandy, she of Brandy and Monica. Yes. If you're having flashbacks right now, I apologise. Uh, she played the Nelson Mandela Sport and Culture Day in Soweto uh, two years ago, three years ago now. And it's a 90,000-seater stadium where there was like soccer matches and rugby matches earlier in the day. Yeah. Then a full bill of music, which no one really had any interest in and started to leave. Yeah. And she wasn't even advertised as being the closing act. <laughs> So people didn't know she was coming up and, you know, continued to leave. And by the time she
2: got out on stage, 40 people remained Uh, in the 90,000-seater stadium. God love her. But then, having said that... I mean, Jimi Hendrix's like famous um, Woodstock appearance where he was like he was actually on at about half four in the morning, and when he was doing like Star Spangled Banner, apparently like there was no one there, like yeah. everyone had left. So maybe this will no, this isn't going to go down as no, no, like no, no, because she
1: she <laughs> she sulked and she stormed off after two songs. Oh, Jimmy would have
2: stayed there, man.
1: Yeah, there was one actually right here in Dublin a couple of years ago where you seventeen played the Academy about eighteen months ago. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I happened to talk to somebody who was there uh,
2: who put the official attendance at between twenty and thirty. Okay yeah They need to hook up With some other kind of Pop groups I think Have they not They, they, t- they tried to do this one With, with
1: Liberty X And it, Bewitched And all like the rest of it Yeah I think, oh, I think I've think i seen A1 Making a comeback On the European <laughs> Festival uh, Tour oh, This year as well It's a way to make a living ah, It's a tough one <laughs> And uh, yeah Finally on this list uh, Carly Rae Jepsen And this by the way Is like smack bang In the middle of the Call Me Maybe Summer Yeah So like this
2: should have What a worked. summer that was
1: uh, she was part of a charity effort at David's Tea at the Yorkdale Mall in Toronto. My favourite tea shop in the Yorkdale Mall, I don't know about you. <laughs> it's
2: my third favourite. But
1: uh, they had the the Cup of Warmth campaign, which was going to be like hunger relief charities okay. that they would match every purchase of a cup of tea oh, that's nice. um, I mean, in, in a donation. The name sounds disgusting, but a good cause. Yeah, uh, they, they set a target of about 30,000 sales and uh, yeah... Apparently, there were 16 people in the store when Carly Ray Jepsen <laughs> arrived and only two had specifically come to see Carly Rae Jepsen. Wow. The rest of them were just having some tea.
2: You see, the thing about those kind of shows is if you're the performer, I mean, it's disheartening, but you can kind of go on with it. As opposed to, like, if you're, say, a stand up comedian where you're just totally fucked because you're telling jokes out into the ether and there's just no interaction. But at least with music, you don't need to interact with a crowd, really. So you could just close your eyes and, you know, cry to yourself quietly while you're you're playing. People talk about, yeah, like the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. It's just full of horror stories. I think someone's told me that the average attendance of an Edinburgh Festival show is about 10. Yeah. I can imagine because everyone just flocks there with their kind of half-written, you know, one mo- one-hour kind of yeah. stand-up thing, and it's just like, yeah, and you've got back rooms, so many and pubs, and yeah, all. yeah. I've never been.
1: Sounds like a desperate. Desperate way to make a living too, if you ask me.
2: Uh, get those tickets now on Carl live, guys. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Taking Dave's pessimistic role now. You've scared me. <laughs> My confidence is gone, I will send some tweets. Alright, well let's see if we can cheer you up a little bit.
1: Yes, please uh, do. Especially if you don't listen too closely. This is the new song from Jens Leckman. It's called Evening Prayer.
2: At School there is a 3D printer, and he prints out a model of the tumour That was surgically removed from his back this winter. And it's rugged, grey plastic, it looks lunar. He puts a tumor in his breast pocket as we head out for a beer. Been a long, hard year for a friend who's not sure if he's close enough to be allowed to care or just be there. Yeah, as I say... Well, what know, are you doing to me with that song,
1: lyrically? I, I mean, said don't listen to it closely, okay. yeah. This is uh, the new song from Jens Lechmann. Uh, it's from his album, which is uh, released on Friday, uh, called Life Will See You Now. And he's always had that knack of sort of just completely subverting his own subjects, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, well, subverting.
2: Where, I mean, if you had this on the background, it was on the radio, you like couldn't help but notice the you know constant references to Tumours. Yeah, <laughs> Tumour does play a, a large part in it this does. song, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, but even then, it's in a funny way. It, it's a plastic model of a Tumour that someone's made as true. a sort of a pet.
2: This is true. And he's talked about how this song is about his experiences dealing with friends who were ill. And it's it's his kind of typical way of finding humor in the everyday. I mean, it's I I do like him. I can see why some people would find him kind of not cloying, but a bit twee, a, a bit too smartars. Smart but it's that it's that it's the spirit of you know the Smiths' girlfriend in a coma for me, yeah. isn't it? It's very much that Morrissey school of when he's trying to be funny. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like I I don't know if this quite works for me because actually it's a jaunty enough tune. It's grand and lyrically. It's it's quite good, but I don't know what to do with it. And I don't yeah. know if I want to listen to it. Do you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> I enjoy it, I must say. Yeah. I, I can see yeah, why well, he might rub some people up the wrong way, but like I do find him funny. I think he has a way with words that's absolutely fantastic. I can remember his second album, When falls over Kurtadala, was It's about ten years ago now. Yeah. Um. And you were talking about finding humour in the everyday things. Uh, it was still around the time that Jens Lehmann played for Arsenal, so it was <laughs> it was party time for anyone who had the intersecting interests of you know Swedish pop music, yeah. and Premier League goalkeepers. But no, I I like this. I must say, I do. Um. He does kind of use happy melodies for sad songs and vice versa.
2: Yeah, and, and it is it is a good tune. He's he's good at it. That's the thing. Like yeah. it's not a kind of moldy peaches. This is cringy thing. He kind of usually nails it. And this is just a cleverly written pop song. Like yeah, so I, bravo I say. But I, it's not going to be on my playlist. I don't think bravo indeed. Bravo I say. Uh, Another song, good sir. Elsewhere we have a comeback
1: from Hercules and Love Affair. Got a little help from Faris Badwan from the Horrors along the way. This is Controller. Yes, yeah, so that's the first taste of the as yet untitled fourth album from Hercules and Love Affair. Uh, they came up in conversation here just a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Anoni and yeah. her talent for, you know, a surprising talent perhaps, an unexpected talent as a sort of a disco diva. This isn't quite disco diva territory, which is why we've no, I don't got think you could call for horror yeah.
2: involved. <laughs> Um, what do you make of it? Well, I think it's another good selection by Andy Butler. Uh, it's kind of brains behind the whole operation. He's very good at picking out a voice that you might expect and putting it in this kind of new disco context. Um, and I think Faris works kind of really well in this. Yeah. Like it's it throws me back to like kind of new romantic days, although I wasn't really alive for them. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's just, very yeah.
1: true. There is a whiff of kind of eighties synth of this, yeah. isn't
2: there? I, I love horrors i love faris i think he's a great kind of pop star and he has that very british thing of he doesn't have a great voice but it's unusual and he's got like a good kind of pop sensibility which is just was really surprising when horrors revealed themselves to be this kind of amazing band and um, that could actually write big melodies and stuff yeah, like yeah because that. god i remember the early days oh, oh, i caught yeah. the horrors I at always...
1: an nme gig <laughs> It, it, pretty much exactly 10 years ago.
2: Was this when they were still playing like 15 minute sets because they didn't have any songs? Pretty much, yeah. yeah.
1: They they opened a bill um, that I think was topped that night by uh, The Automatic. Oh, okay. I believe, well, I think Yeah, I think there was two different enemy. gigs yeah, that Yeah, was that year. when
2: New Rave was happening? Yeah, exactly. So and the they New were...
1: Rave one had The Klaxons yeah. along with like CSS. What happened to CSS? <laughs> and The Sunshine Underground and people <laughs> like that. And the other night then was The Automatic,
2: The View... Oh, um, yeah, yeah, and, and there was wars, wasn't there? I remember reading in the enemy where I'd just be like, "Farris uh, threw some black paint," at, yeah. you know, one of the taxes. It was <laughs> ludicrous,
1: like. and and yeah, like they really weren't good. And I must admit that purely because of that, might it took me a long time to give them a chance after that.
2: Yeah, oh, they've done some spectacular sort of stuff. Yeah, and I like that he's kind of willing to just mix it up a bit. And he's talked like I've interviewed him before. Really interesting guy, and that that voice, just when he's his, it's his speaking voice. is is Impossibly low, <laughs> right. it's just like he sounds like a dead person, it's just <laughs> down here somewhere, but he's amazing. But yeah, like even talking to him, he was spent half his time talking about his love for techno and just kind of crate digging and getting really involved with the New York scene. So this makes actually total sense, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like the way he's kind of cast as a Steve Strange kind of visage, fade to gray star. in this it's a bit of a troba back, and it's a good tune. You know, I like it, yeah. It no, 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 I, I really enjoyed this song. I must say, um, you're,
1: you're right, he. Butler tends to get the best out of who he chooses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, really kind of picks the right man for the job along the way. And, yeah, this is great. I mean, it's less of that kind of shimmery disco uh, than some of the other tracks that he's produced as Hercules and Love Affair.
2: Yeah, it's a bit more introspective. Apparently, it's about spirituality. Obviously, it's about control. And the lyrics are maybe slightly on the nose, but it works because of oh, the yeah. vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of
1: on the nose, Depeche Mode. It's been a long time uh, <laughs> since they released a single. And uh, yeah, well they've played it with a pretty straight bat This is their new one, it's called Where's the Revolution Where's the Revolution so if ever there was one where the clue is in the title, here it is. Yeah. Um. In a year filled with protest songs, uh, Depeche Mode determined clearly not to be left out. Um. This is the first track from their album, which is out on Paddy's Day. Um. Yeah, on the nose, certainly. What um, do you make of it?
2: Yeah, it reminds me of that time Billy Corgan released an album called Zeitgeist. <sighs> I thought he was being clever. This is just... I don't know, because I'm used to Depeche Mode from years ago gone by being subversive, uh, as we said earlier, and kind of getting it right. And here, like, they're in Depeche Mode mode. You have those industrial synths. It sounds great. Uh, Dave, David Gann's kind of voice is still, like, a towering kind of monolith of whatever pain and anger and stuff. But then you have these, like, it's sub-Nicky Wire. Now I say that as someone who adores Nicky Wire, but I'm talking sub-sub in the basement where it should have been left, Nicky Wire. And towards the end of the song, when they kind of kick into that refrain of, like, get on the train or train is coming... Mm -hmm. Uh, it, instinctively as I was listening to okay this is Depeche Mode I was thinking uh, there's something interesting here going on about comparing like new administrations to maybe the Nazis or you know, I was thinking of you know people being off led off in trains no there was nothing kind of it was probably just because it has that Depeche Mode Teutonic sound but no it's not it's just like there's a revolution coming holidays are coming like yeah. that's literally the sentiment come it's, on boys it's yeah. funny that
1: you mentioned that you know it just it has that Depeche Mode sound and I honestly think that that's probably the sole selling point on of this yeah, tune that people so. are going to say, like, you know, well, we've heard this idea before and, like, the lyrics are, yeah, I mean, you know, they're pretty obvious, they're pretty straightforward. There's certainly nothing special, but it just happens to be Dave Gann singing them. Yeah. And, you know, it happens to be a song written by Martin Gore and that's kind of what people enjoy or people are going to want.
2: Yeah, I mean, at least they haven't gone, like, oh, we're going to go EDM or something. It does have that classic sound, but if is it even it's you know clearly not done as well as they've done it before so that just makes it even more redundant maybe yeah, yeah so not really a stunning comeback
1: they have said that it's not necessarily going to be a political album in cool. an interview with the Rolling Stone they said you know it's about humanity yeah and our place in that
2: see that worries me <laughs> yeah no,
1: I mean you know that, that is kind of six and one half doesn't the other in some ways yeah. and uh, it's,
2: it's very much a pick your poison situation I think I love the YouTube comments underneath this I know I talk about YouTube comments way too much but it's oh, just please, like I love I'm sorry, nearly all Of them are just like Trump supporters going, uh, yeah, the revolution's here, mate. (laughs) It's like it's Trump, it's Trump, baby. Let's go. Is the revolution (laughs) anymore? Who knows? It's a topsy turvy world, and i Depeche Mode, haven't got it the right side up yeah
1: Determined not to go back to a sort of a sound that we've heard before. Is our final song of the week, the new one from Dirty Projectors, uh, features Dawn on vocals and it's called Cool Your Heart.
0: And There's been waters and deep We've been hanging tight For all the things we want our love So wait, Good if only I still want to
1: Right, so yeah, David Longstreet's uh, project back for a new album, which is out February 24th. I've given it a spin, actually. It's very good. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I've, I quite enjoy it, I must say. Uh, it features people like Maro Rafosco uh, he of Atoms for Peace, and Tyondo Braxton, who mm. uh, we've talked before, is a, yeah, yeah. a beloved Battles frontman. Uh, this is the first taste of it. I quite enjoyed this, I must say. Did you? Yeah, because I think what it has going for it is that, you know, it has a good pop hook as its base in the chorus and sort of builds around that. Oftentimes, I feel as though when you've got one man production jobs and especially something like Dirty Projectors, which is, you know, very kind of varied and and can be a bit wild, Mm. that sometimes you feel as though those things are then sort of affixed to you know, kind of a frame, or they try to jam in the hook somewhere in between. Sure. Whereas this, I don't know, it it felt as though... It grew outwards from that, so to speak.
2: And yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I definitely think the best thing about it is Don's contribution in yeah. that vocal. Um, and clearly for you, it worked as a kind of anchoring thing that everything was orbiting around. But I kind of just thought it was a bit too glitchy for its own good. Right. Um, like, I know he likes to mix it up, but it just seemed like almost frivolous to the point of I'm just experimenting here. And obviously, this is a band that is known for that. And it's to be expected. But it just kind of didn't really hold together enough for me. Like, there's
1: no doubt that it is glitchy,
2: yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and like <laughs> he he, he
1: always has been that way inclined, though, to sort of mess with things, so to yeah,
2: speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I mean, you're talking about he's got a lot of collaborators on this outing. It's kind of just him, though, in terms of for the long haul now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He's got Shed members. I believe the album's going to be about him breaking up with an ex-band member. And I'm just wondering, like, I, th- I think the album's going to be, it's, it's self-titled, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Which is always kind of interesting to me when, I mean, he shed loads of members, and now he's kind of... It'll just be interesting to me what that statement means to him as sure. a kind of Dirty Projectors album. So I, I'm interested to hear what the rest of it sounds like. But to me, this sounded a bit like more of an experiment than a song. Right. Um, yeah, but again, Dawn, you know, most of what she does is strong. I like her contribution to this. I mean, like, what a career flip for her as well. It's I think true. It, she started on making the band three or four or something like that and within a decade she just kind of reinvented herself as this kind of crazy electronic genius person so yeah awesome it's good work good work um yeah um making a lot of headlines in the past couple of weeks
1: has been uh, a young londoner who was hotly tipped uh, going back a few years sort of disappeared off the radar but with the release of his first full album Uh, Yeah, looks to be sort of justifying the hype. His name is Sampha. The album is Process. It's the record that everybody uh, seems to be listening to and talking about right now. So we felt it would be a miss if we didn't do the same. Uh, Here's a little taste of it uh, from the lead single called Blood On Me. No need, no need to
0: take from me. Don't throw the paint on me. I see
2: the sweat.
1: Yeah, that was the lead single. It emerged uh, sometime last summer, I believe. Uh, Now, of course, we have the album. It's called Process. It's a 10-track collection, which Dave would presumably be raving about. Oh, yeah, 40 minutes in and out. (laughs) Yeah, and to be honest, this album flew by for me. Mm. Um, It is very smooth. It's, yeah, pretty easy listen, but is it any good, Craig?
2: Okay, now, smooth and easy listening. Um, This is... No, this is the thing, kind of, for me, because at this point, you were saying that it's been very talked up. Everyone, it seems, is loving it. Um, If someone's listening to this right now and kind of thinking, I don't quite get it, I'm right there with you, I think. Um, He's an amazing talent. I think the production on this thing is pretty incredible. It's, It's all his own stuff as well. He was kind of just really took the reins. And we've been waiting for so long, it just seems like he's really been trying to craft and perfect this thing. And it's a gorgeous listen, like it really is. And there's moments you keep coming back to sonically, he's doing things, it kind of all just floats really nicely around itself. But at the heart of it, for an album with such a kind of, you know, heartbreaking backstory, I mean, we should talk about the fact that there's references there uh, quite overtly to his parents. Um, I think his father died over a decade ago, but more recently during the making of this, his mother. Um, who he was kind of caring for. Um, His brothers also had kind of massive health issues and stuff that all comes into play. And, you know, so you have that backstory. For me, the songs didn't quite do it and they didn't quite transcend. And it had that smooth, gorgeous thing, but it was almost too smooth for in a way and he almost seemed too mannered. Yeah, I know
1: Dave has sort of, you know, been in touch this week from his sickbed to oh, say that he? Okay. he thought it was a little too clinical, perhaps. Oh, really? Okay, and sort of a little too pristine and sort of compared it to an art installation rather than a sort of a, a living, breathing album. Yeah. And I've got to say... That it worked for me. Good. I, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. I mean, it opens with a song called "Like Plastic One Hundred Degrees Celsius." Yeah. yeah. He even puts the C in. <laughs> Presumably, on the US version, it's going to be released as whatever, like two hundred Fahrenheit. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's we'd kind of be pandering, wouldn't we? I don't know. <laughs> Just a little bit. But you know, he he talks
1: about like a, a lump in his neck. Yeah. And again, which is inspired completely by a, a real thing, where he had some sort of tumor type issue in his neck the doctors couldn't figure could, out what yeah, it was so and just was keeping him awake at night and and you know it's a kind of a personal touch on an album that really is yeah nothing if not personal um and yeah his mother was diagnosed with cancer seven years ago and her health was basically the reason why like i say his sort of rise uh, to prominence has been a little bit stop start because he was you know just this kind of wunderkind so to speak uh, around the time that jesse ware was coming out he's from the same sort of area in brixton and then yeah he'd kind of been stuttered i suppose uh, from that point onwards but you know, we listened to Blood on Me there, and he talked about how he'd like run inside the studio and exercise, like to get out of breath. Oh, okay. And also, like just to get in the mindset of that song. And I, I thought it really worked because, you know, while there's few enough spectacular shifts and changes in this record, that's perhaps why it feels a little bit pristine, a little bit clinical at times. Um, I just think that it's it's every small change he hits precisely. You know, yeah. Um, it-, it reminds me a little bit. Just even that song and and the story of kind of you know him getting in the mindset. The song reminds me of exactly what the weekend was trying to do with some of the visuals around his album. Okay, around Starboy. You remember they had that video of him like you know in the club and his girlfriend turns into a panther or some shit to sure. like, kill the people who were going to kill him or whatever. Standard. Yeah, but it it, it felt like the same sort of panic, claustrophobic sort of idea was behind it but it just wasn't achieved anywhere near as well yeah and I,
2: I kind of feel like that's maybe the one moment so where you really get that and there is that you know anxiety thing hanging over it but it never really totally kind of overtakes the thing except for maybe on that track and under again has that juddering thing and really actually quite inventive kind of movements with their repetitive vocals and stuff which works really well but elsewhere I mean tracks at times just kind of accelerate and take off. But instead of it being that kind of, you know, really transcendent thing that just lifts the whole song, for me, it was just like, okay, this is really, like, okay, it's impressive. He knows his way around the studio. This is him making a sharp left turn and kind of, you know, the precision's amazing. But just on a kind of gut level, it just was Maybe I'm just a broken human being. (laughs) No, I mean,
1: it's an interesting question as well because... I I I guess what I'm asking is, do you think maybe he was a little too restrained at times? Yeah. Because I think definitely restrained vocally, you can tell that you know when when he lets it fly, this guy is a great voice. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot 100%. of the time, he goes very delicate, very understated, very restrained. And do you think that that's kind of a headline for the album in general? That maybe there's a little bit too much.
2: I do, and I feel like he's been. You know, he's worked with so many people. He's been in that kind of sidekick role. It's taken him a long time to get this out. We've had a couple of EPs before, but even the dual EP was kind of, it seemed like sketches. It seemed like he didn't really kind of even commit to those as his songs. And while this is kind of like, it seems like a big kind of announcement here. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see the chap kind of explode after this um, because he is talented. It just feels like he's holding something back for me, which is frustrating because the talent is definitely there. Now again, maybe i 'm just for whatever reason not connecting with it, and there are moments like no one knows me like the piano is a standout moment I yeah. mean that 's where he just nails it that 's a great song, echoes of kind of James Blake, but just kind of such a confessional an amazing lyric that 's when he nails the imagery for me because when you know he talks about the awful stuff that 's gone on in his life elsewhere. It just doesn't really capture my imagination because I'm an awful person or something, <laughs> but um, no, yeah, I think that restraint, as you say, just is what just means it's not quite doing it for me.
1: I feel it's gonna actually be quite interesting for a guy who you know for all the press, we quite know quite little about him personally, yeah, um apart obviously from the stories that he tells in his music it It's kind of gonna be interesting to get to know him as a person as a character because I think that will color. In many ways, how you view a record like this, um, because, you know, it is intensely personal. It is storytelling. And I suppose, you know, if, if we know him a little more and kind of, you know, get to see the authenticity or otherwise yeah. of the stories being told, um, then, you know, I'd I, like, I mean, I listened to a song like Take Me Inside. And to me, it struck me as being just like really simple, but lovely and and pure was the word that stood out. And, yeah, I mean, I can understand, though, why some people wouldn't necessarily be be won over by it straight away. I mean, you mentioned the people he's worked with. um, Like, he appeared on St. Pablo and on Endless. Yeah. Um, Drake has used his beats and, and stuff like that. I mean, he's definitely got, got friends in high places. He does. He does so indeed. to speak. And um, also, of course, comparisons in high places. James Blake has been abound, of course. Mm. Um, Personally, I was getting a lot of trip-hop from this. I mean, it really does sound like something that could be like 25 years ago in Bristol. And that's not a, an yeah, insult. Yeah,
2: certainly rhythmically. And there is a very kind of British thing about it as well. Yeah. Um, that, but, you can totally hear that. The other name, though, is Bonnie Vere, okay. who,
1: for me, I think also has a tremendous talent when it comes to knowing when to pull back and when to maybe, you know, use the kind of less is more basically delicate vocals or sort of limited instrumentation
2: to get his point across. Yeah, it's, it's funny when we talked about his most recent album, which I think, did we all agree that the last Bonnie Iver record was outstanding? We, mm-hmm. Yeah, we certainly did. Um, but we talked about how some people were finding it a bit hard to connect to it as well, and there was some kind of barrier that they weren't quite getting through it. Now, in the case of Bonnie Iver, it was because he was willfully kind of obscuring stuff and, you know, there's a lot of symbolic stuff in it it's kind of a flip f- uh, with this for me where it's just, it's not b- b- banal by any means, but it's just maybe different kind of, I was going to say shades of grey, but that conjures up much more exciting imagery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or not. But yeah, it's just its just not hitting me in kind of that kind of imaginative level. Yeah, I suppose
1: the other thing yeah, is when you write an album that is so intensely personal, you okay. know, maybe the sort of automatic effect of that is that it's going to be less approachable for anybody this else this true
2: now he has said in a kind of interview that when it was all done and he was kind of worried creating this record that um, he couldn't quite encapsulate those feelings and you know translate them that well and when he was coming back and listening to himself he was kind of having these conversations with himself and feeling real empathy and working through issues he was having But then when it was finished, he was kind of thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I actually did nail it. It seemed like even he had a strange disconnect with the finished product. Um, so I think maybe it is a process for him. Mm. I think he does have talent. But I, he just really needs kind of to step out even a bit more. It sounds ridiculous saying this because of the subject matter. Right. Um, but maybe just something in the execution. I mean, Take Me ins- uh, uh, Inside, which, you know, you love. It has those gorgeous sins, has those that 80s thing. It sounds like the more delicate moments of some of Prince's kind of mm-hmm. ballads and things. But again... A Prince comes up as a reference point and I'm thinking constantly about other artists and here's Snatches and I'm enjoying listening to it but I'm not thinking this is something I can only get from Sampha. I'm still right. waiting for his defined thing. He's really good at different things but it's just not hitting me yeah. on that level. Yeah,
1: I think it's an album as well. Interestingly for a debut perhaps that very definitely is kind of set in of its time so to speak sure. in, in his context that it's very much as you say it's a process. And, you know, a grieving process for him. And a sort of a a, a realisation moment, I think, at at times on this album. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. Certainly, he appears to have the raw talent. Yeah. But uh, for this particular collection... Do you want to give us a number, Craig? Are we still doing this stupid no sevens? No, because
2: because Dave just messaged me to say it's a seven. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Dave, whose idea it was to do, what, a month of sevens, I believe? I think we're done with the month, though. Oh, Okay. Because he missed like most of it. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Seven.
1: <laughs> cool. I'm going to go eight. I I do enjoy this album. Um, it is in, intensely emotional and and emotive, and I think he does an extremely good job of it. So, uh, yeah, well worth a listen. Um, elsewhere in terms of things that are out in the coming days, I mean, we talked about Dirty Projectors. Uh, that is still about ten days away, but uh, worth keeping an eye out for. Sure. And, yeah, the Jens Lechman album will be out at the end of this week. Also worth giving a spin.
2: It's all happening.
1: It's, it's
2: shaping up, up to be a good year. I mean, last year was amazing. Um, I think part of that was because we were doing this podcast, I had to listen to stuff every. week Sure. Oh, yeah, just working, of course. Right? Um, which Sounds ridiculous for someone that spent five years as a music journalist. <laughs> but, no, it's been a good year so far and there's some interesting stuff coming up. Indeed. There is and a
1: reminder that one of the highlights of it, for us at least,
2: it's going to be No Encore Live,
1: March 2nd, Workman's Club. Tickets available from noencorelive.eventbrite.ie. Log on there and get your hands on them now.
2: And if you want more info, just go to my Twitter. Damn right. Uh,
1: if you want more info or indeed to get involved in anything that we've talked about, uh, tweet us uh, at No Encore Show, And we will be back with you next week. Uh, as always, we exit with... Some new Irish music, and this is pretty interesting, even if I say so myself. This is Participant, uh, the project of Stephen Tiernan, and uh, typically it's kind of electronic elements and atmospheric soundtracks and sort of earnest songwriting, sort of very ambient um, take on things. That's his normal uh, approach. But now his song, You're Better, has been reimagined by Conor O'Brien for the first ever Villagers remix. And it can reasonably be described as a surprise. Yeah, he hasn't it's gone the not, folky route. No, it's not what you expect from Conor O'Brien. He's basically turned it into a bit of a club banger. Um, well, Conor O'Brien's a good laugh, Yeah, have to say. This is, you know, you'll see him in the club. Yeah, well, there's popping synths and glitches everywhere on this um, Not too glitchy Not, not too glitchy thankfully Craig is happy with the glitch level um, <laughs> The song was originally on the content EP um, but yeah it sounds like it could end up somewhere very different indeed at this point uh, We'll actually have a chance to talk about the song uh, in proper detail next week because Stephen is going to be joining us right here for the next episode of No Encore
2: Exciting stuff so that's something to look forward. It's to. It's going to be a full
1: house And Dave is going to be back full house um, But until then we'll just have the song to finish things today thank you Craig for being here it's been magical thank you for being you and thank you listener for listening Uh, my name is Colm O'Regan this has been no encore there will be no encore and this is the Villagers Club remix of Participant and You're Better we'll see you next week
0: HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: See Headstuff.org for more details.
0: The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh. Got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal.